your Bibles with you, please open up to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. I'll, I will be reading from the King James Version. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech ye that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all the lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Our God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. It is so good to see each of you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We're glad that you're here. It's always good to see Holly and Greg and, and Chase and Alicia when they come visit with us. And if you haven't had an opportunity to, to meet Miss Janice in the back, you'll want to be doing that before you leave. We appreciate her presence being here also. Have you ever heard the term unity in diversity? Unity in diversity. That's an old term that has been a been among us for many years, and it is one of the most evil uh, doctrinal stances that Satan has ever put forth. As more people have less and less respect for the Bible, respect for the words that Christ gave to us through the Holy Spirit, we become more and more acceptable or accepting of something that some man may tell us. We've come to accept certain arguments, and this even exists in the Lord's church, where the basic tenets of denominationalism have reared its head, and some people have accepted those things. Not the least of which is that the church for which the Lord died is made up of many, many man-made denominations. That's not a doctrine that is found in the Bible. In fact, it is contrary to the, to the doctrines that have been preached for almost 2,000 years. We're not going to find this idea of we're all getting to heaven, we're just taking uh, different paths or different roads. Not all roads lead to the same place. And in fact, there's only one road that leads to heaven. Christ said it is through Him. And when we believe that that is not the case, when we believe that there are numerous organizations in the world that are the one church, Jesus' prayer in the garden that... We may be perfect in one, John seventeen twenty three, or Paul's plea to the Corinthians that there be no divisions among you, Second Corinthians thirteen eleven. They are ignored. They're laid by the wayside. They're simply not accepted. Often today, when Scripture is quoted and application is made, and in some way the hearer determines that there has to be a change within his or her life, that statement or those doctrines that are taught are simply ignored. Now we cannot accept just what anyone tells us. We cannot accept that someone says, well I think it's this or I think it's that. Well that may be so. That may be the, the, 
the idea behind their statement. I think a lot of different things when I'm studying the Bible, but I do not tell someone exactly something to be a fact unless I can support it in the Bible. And if someone tells us something and they do not have scriptural support for it, we must reject it. And when we, when we look at what God has given to us, and we begin to make application of that into our lives, and, and we see that sometimes a change of lifestyle or a change of habitation in some way is required, then the world will simply begin to call us legalistic or narrow-minded, unloving. When we respect God's will on marriage and the family, we become bigots because we do not believe that two men can marry each other. Or two women can do that. We do not hold to the, to the belief that you can have multiple husbands or wives. But when we hold that stance, then we are mocked for that. What about supporting the preciousness of human life? I don't know how many babies are killed around the world every single day in the name of abortion. Now people, uh, they don't like to use that term anymore. They certainly don't want to call a baby a baby. They prefer the French term fetus. I just despise that term. I despise that term. But when we stand up for life and the strict faithfulness of God's commandments, it seems as if there is always someone who wants to change what God has already given to us. God has already given that to us. He's given us the directions that we must follow, but we can rest assured. We can rest assured that God is still in heaven, that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father upon His throne, and that the Bible is still our gauge by which the Lord will judge us and through which we gain salvation. John twelve forty eight. We can believe that. The Apostle Paul understood that when he said this, For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. He said, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ. Now here it is as I teach everywhere in every church. The Bible is clear. The Bible is clear on its stance and its doctrine concerning unity. And it applies not only to just the world in general, that we all have to come under the same, follower, uh, the, the same headship of Jesus Christ if we want to gain eternal heaven, but it is just as applicable to the individual congregations, those churches that Paul talked about. Christ prayed for unity. Paul taught the doctrine of unity, and God demands unity. It's not an option. The question must then be asked. If all those things are true, and they are, we just read them, are all the different organizations in the world that claim to be followers of God in some way, are they all united with each other? Is there true scriptural 
unity? The answer has to be no. Why? They teach different things. Every single organization in the world that carries a name that claims to be a follower of Christ, every single one of them teaches at least one thing different from the other. So what do we do? How do we determine? We have to go back to the gauge, don't we? We have to go back to what God has left for us. If every church, organization in the world teaches something different, how many can be right? Well, Christ prayed for unity. If unity is ever going to exist in the world and among God's people, there must be a way to accomplish that. God does not ask us to do anything we cannot accomplish. There must be a way that is reasonable, one that can be understood and one that can be followed. I want us to look at Paul's passage this morning in Ephesians 4. I want us to notice the things that he addresses and he points toward unity. And he begins with a plea. He begins with a plea. At the beginning of our passage, Paul acknowledges, he says, I am a prisoner. I'm a prisoner. Now, he did write this letter during his first imprisonment in Rome. But was he talking about the Roman chains that hung around his feet and his arms? Was he talking about being a prisoner to his own countrymen who we might say today sold him down the river? That's not what he's talking about. He was a prisoner physically in Rome. He went there because his brethren hated him and helped him to go there. But he was talking about his willingness of being a prisoner or a slave to Jesus. That was his main concern. That's what he was talking about. Paul had dedicated his life to the cause of Christ. He had given up financial gain. He gave up his reputation. He gave up all the power that could have been right in his very hands. And he did it for the cause of Christ. And he would not allow outside circumstances to cause him to lose that. They were not going to deter him. Neither would he allow problems within the church to change his course. Are there problems in the church today? Yeah, uh, what, what is the church? It's people. Are there problems with people sometimes today? Yes. Are there problems with people who love each other sometimes today? Yes. Are there problems within families? Yes. Does that mean we don't love each other? No. Paul was not going to allow the problems outside of the church or the problems in the church to cost him his salvation and his unity with God. And those who wanted to be faithful... Those who wanted to follow after his example, they too would enjoy that unity with Paul and those of like mind and as well as with God. I want us to notice when Paul described the persecutions under which he lived for so long to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, in the last verse of that passage, verse 28, he says, after listing all of those things that he had endured, he said, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. His care for all the churches. Think about it. 
He was writing to the Corinthian church. There was never a more dysfunctional group of people, probably in the history of the church. They were divided from top to bottom. They were jealous of each other. They mistreated one another. They spoke evil of one another. They did everything that you can imagine that they weren't supposed to do. But did Paul love them? Yes. Did he send the first letter to rebuke them and tell them to get on track? Yes, he did. And it worked. That's what the second letter is about. But Paul was able to acknowledge his servitude in God because he wanted unity. But if he had not have had the right attitude, he could have never been who he was. Notice what he said. I therefore beseech you. We have to understand what that word means. Let's understand his attitude. The great apostle did not ask or request this of them. That would have placed him on an even plane with them. You notice that he did not command them to do this. That would have placed him in a position of authority over them. Now, he did have a position of authority, but he wasn't using it. Notice what he told those in Thessalonica. He said, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. And he sent the first letter to the Corinthians. He said, What will you? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love? And in the spirit of meekness, 1 Corinthians 4.21. He had authority. He could have exercised that authority and it was well within his right as an apostle of Jesus Christ to say, I command you. But that's not what he did. We see how his attitude, he wouldn't have been wrong in doing that. But we can see that he addressed certain people in certain ways. He dealt with people in different ways. We're all different. Some of us accept correction this way and some of us are able to accept it another way. He said, I beseech you. He's begging them as one who is inferior to one who is superior. Paul is pleading for unity, which requires the right standards. It requires the right attitude. And it is with that attitude that he wrote. Have you ever heard this statement? I believe it has often been said, I would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Well, what does that mean? That means that I can be right scripturally on a position and then have a sorry attitude concerning my knowledge of that scripture and my disrespect for the person to whom I'm talking. That's not living your sermon, is it? I may know something academically speaking, but unless I am able to engage someone on a, on a level playing field, offering the respect that they deserve, then I cannot be successful. And when that doesn't happen, unity is never had. Unity cannot be possible when we have the wrong attitude. Notice what the psalmist said. He said, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133, verse 1. 
Isn't there a lot to be said about peace? Peacefulness? Not having to worry about strife and conflict? Doesn't that make us sleep just a little bit better at night? But I want us to notice here that Paul didn't just make a plea for unity. No, he didn't just say, you need to go out and have unity. He gave them a plan. He said, you need to follow this direction right here. And he begins with their walk. We talked about walking in class this morning. To walk means to live your life or your lifestyle. It means to put effort in to how you are living. We talked about babies. When they first begin to walk, they hold on almost as if it were for dear life not to fall because they want to walk. I can remember... When I started having babies, I couldn't wait till they walked and they talked. They never sat down or shut up after that. (laughs) But there's something to say about walking. We have to put forth effort. Paul's way of life did not contradict his teachings. He lived what he taught. You know, he was unlike many who claim a devotion for God, but who never really reached that level. We don't want that. The Lord asked the question. He said, And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You have people who claim a devotion to the Lord, yet they do not do what He asked them to do. They will not follow His plan of salvation. They will not follow His plan of life after having gained salvation. They like to do things their own way. Paul told those at Rome, Romans 2, 21-23, he said, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? You're teaching someone something. Are you not learning? That's what he's talking about. You that preach, a man should not steal. Do you steal? You who say a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? If you abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege? You tell someone not to worship an idol, but you worship one yourself. You that make your boast of the law through breaking the law, you dishonor God. That sounds just like the Pharisees, doesn't it? Do you remember they couldn't help their own widowed mothers because they had to tithe properly? Therefore, they used that as a loophole not to help their widowed mothers. They were making their boast of the law while dishonoring God. See, Paul is talking about people who claim to be faithful, yet they're not faithful. We don't want to live that way. He encouraged them to walk faithfully. Walk like he walks. Live their life honestly like he lived his life. And be ready just as he was ready. For the return of the Lord. Notice what he told Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. I'm not sure how long this was before Paul lost his life, but it wasn't a long period of time. He said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I'm ready to go, and it's time for me to go. He said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I have kept the faith, the faith. He didn't say the faiths in the plural. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not only to me, 
but to all those who love His appearing. All those who look forward to Him coming back. See, we have to do that. We have to look forward to that. We are, we are provided with so many examples in the Bible of how we are to walk, how we are to live our lives. Let's notice a few of them. We are to walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7. We are to walk in the fear of the Lord. This is a reverential fear. This is a fear of understanding that God loves us. I need to please God, but He will punish if He has to. Isn't that the kind of fear we're to have for our parents? A reverential fear or a respectful fear, not as if they were tyrants, someone that would abuse us, but someone who would discipline us if we asked for it. We're to walk in the steps of our father Abraham. Paul said we're to walk in newness of life. We're to walk after the Spirit or in the way of the Spirit. We're to walk by faith, not by sight. We are to walk in Christ. And finally, we're to walk as Christ walked and after His commandments. That's how we're to walk. All those mean the same things, don't they? He said if we're going to walk in the paths of righteousness, the only way we can do it is if we walk worthily. We have to do that. We're to walk in such a way that is appropriate before God and reflects our devotion for Him. Christians are to do that. But how do we do it? Paul said it's not possible to go out of the world. He said don't company with with fornicators. And he gave this whole list of, of people and sinful things. He said don't company with them. He was talking about brethren. We can't have unity within the church if we allow people to live in sin. He said he wasn't talking about people in the world. Why? You can't get out of the world. He said you can't get out of the world as you do your daily business. You go to the store, you buy something. The owner of the store may be a heathen. He may be an atheist. The person that works for him might be an atheist, might might hate God. What do we do? Well, he said you interact with them and you live with them as peaceably as it is in you and as it is possible. He's talking about brethren here. You do not company. Don't eat with one. Don't go to lunch with someone that's an erring brother if he will not repent of his sins. But he says you can't get out of the world, but you don't become like the world. That's what he's talking about. Don't become like the world. We must think, we must talk, and we must walk as followers of God. Not as the world thinks and talks and walks. There's nothing different, right? We're to be different. Christ said this, Matthew seven thirteen through 14, Enter ye into straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. See, we don't want to be with the crowd. The crowd's going to be lost. He said, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. We want to be in the few. Let's not be discouraged when we look around and we say we ought to have 200 people in the church at every faithful congregation. Now that's what we want, but let's not be discouraged when that doesn't always happen. If we're working like we ought to be working, we are the size we ought to be, and we'll grow. 
The Lord's people have always been in the minority. Look at poor Noah. Eight, including himself, out of the whole world? That was a few. But the way to get to God was, the gate was straight and the path was narrow. It was restricted, in another words. Paul called our walk a vocation, our work in life. That's what we're to, to consider that. The Christian life is the job of the Christian. That's what we do. We live for God. That's our main vocation. It's not just a pastime or a hobby. It's not a Sunday morning lifestyle. It's a everyday lifestyle. We work for Him. You know, when we go to our secular jobs, and, and if we're not serious about our secular jobs, what normally happens? They'll find someone who is serious about it, won't they? They'll find someone who will do the job properly. They'll find someone who is focused on doing what they have asked them to do. We have to live our Christian lives and our Christian vocation the same way. We have to be serious about what God said. We have to be focused on what He asked us to do. Our spiritual work is the same work Jesus fulfilled as He lived in this world. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. Our focus in this life better be the next life, hadn't it? This life doesn't last very long. We're here for a very short time. That's what Job said. Faster than a weaver's shuttle. Have you ever seen a weaver's shuttle? I'd never seen one until I was in India. And they are fast. What about a vapor? That's what James said life was. It's like a, a puff of steam. Look, we're not going to be here long. We better focus on the next life. Our Christian work has to be directed by the Word of God. But we're not going to be able to focus. We're to walk in the way that brings glory to God. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, God gets the glory through what we do. We produce fruit and God gets the glory. Peter gave us an example to follow. He said, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. See, Paul, or excuse me, Peter, was talking to people who were suffering. He said, Christ also suffered for us. So let's suffer for Him. And let's live the way we ought to live. And let's follow in His steps. And of course, we are called by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 Paul said, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our walk and our work has to begin with hearing what God wants us to know. We must hear the word of God. Romans 10.17 Listen to what God has to say. We have to have a desire to be obedient. We must repent. That's what Jesus said we were to do. Romans, uh, Romans 10, or excuse me, 8.24, John 8.24. We're to confess that He is the Son of God before men. Why? So people will know what we believe. And it can encourage others to do it. Romans 10, 10. If we desire to be obedient... We have to be immersed in water, just like those on the day of Pentecost. They said, what shall we do? We've sinned. Paul said, you murdered the very Son of God. 
They said, what can we do about that Acts 2.37? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And then we have to live our faithful vocation. The plea and the plan require the proper attitudes. Paul said you have to be meek, you have to be patient, and you have to love each other. That sounds very easy and simple, doesn't it? It can be difficult sometimes. Why? Because we deal with people. We deal with people sometimes we're hard to deal with, right? And so that's why we need meekness, we need patience, and we need love. And that will overcome those things. The plea and the plan require the proper actions. He said we must endeavor. Make an effort. Strive. Be diligent. Put sweat equity into our vocation. But I want us to notice after making a plea, giving us a plan, Paul didn't just stop there. He gave the principles upon which he made all those statements. You have to be, or you have to have unity with God. All men that want to go to heaven and women that want to go to heaven have to have unity with God. And within each congregation of the Lord's people, there has to be unity. Why? Because God's organization has unity. The Godhood has unity. The Father, the Word who became Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, they are one in every aspect of their thought processes. Christ told Peter, He said, I'm going to build my church in answer to His confession. He said, I'm going to build my church. What does that mean? That means it is a possessive pronoun. My church. Singular. He didn't say, I'm going to build my churches. He said, I'm going to build my church. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock... The rock that he said, you are the Son of God. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Death itself will not destroy it. Christ knew he was going to give himself. Many in the world have misused Christ's statement of John fifteen five. Notice what he said. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. They use that to support all of these different organizations that exist in the world. Every single, quote, Christian denomination, they say, is based upon John 15, 5. Absolutely not what Jesus was talking about. Let's notice what He was talking about. Who is the vine? Well, according to Paul, Colossians 1, 18, Christ is the body, He's the vine. He said, I'm the vine. That's the one body. He said, I'm the vine. Christ's body is the church. Now, there were no other church, there were no churches in existence at that time. So how could He have been talking about Every single denomination that exists in the world. They didn't exist. There were no churches in the world. He was talking to disciples and that's what he was talking about. It makes no more sense for Christ's universal body to be divided than it does for a single congregation. Paul said, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches of the saints. There were saints in Galatia, there were saints in Rome, there were saints in Corinth, 
There were saints in Ephesus. They each were a single congregation, a local church within the universal church overall. Paul said that without Christ talking to the uh, Gentiles, that they were, were without hope in this world. We don't have hope. We see that these principles are based upon organization. They're based upon revelation. There's one Lord. There's no other Lord but Jesus. Job knew that one day he'd have a, have a mediator. And we see that happened in Matthew 1, 18-25. Christ was born in the world. The angel told Joseph his name would be Jesus because he's going to save the world from their sins. We have to go through him. The unity of Christ is revealed in one faith. There's not more than one faith prophesied. There's only one. The Bible doesn't teach your faith, my faith, we're all going to get to heaven. It talks about the system of faith. Not our personal faith. We have to have that. But it's brought about by the system of faith. Jude said that the system of faith, faith that was once delivered for all. Jude 3. Paul taught the same revelation in Christ's church Everywhere, 1 Corinthians 4, 17. He taught the same thing. He didn't have different stories every time he went somewhere. He said there's one baptism. How do we know that? Because we're baptized into Christ. For all of us who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. If we're not baptized into Christ, we're not in Him and we don't have any spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1, verse 3. And that baptism was revealed to the apostles prior to Christ's ascension, and what we know as the Great Commission. Paul revealed that there's one God and Father of all. He's the object of our worship. We have to have unity with Him within the church, and anyone who wants to get to heaven has to have unity with God. There can't be a multitude of churches. There's only one church in various congregations or groups of that one church. God desires and commands unity among His creation. However, He does not desire union. That's not what He asked for. Union simply means the attachment of two things. Unity is believing the same things, doing the same things, and operating and heading in the same direction. Through the pen of the Apostle Paul, who was guided by the Holy Spirit, he made a plea, he gave us a plan, And He told us what that plan, the principles upon which it was based. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, if you've never obeyed the gospel, we talked about how you do that. If you have and you've become unfaithful, come back to the Lord. Walk back to Him in your life and put forth effort to be faithful through repentance and confession and prayer. If you have need to answer this invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.